You're listening to the BC Buckets podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University basketball. This is Matt Gall here with head coach of the Briarcliff University basketball program, Marks Figuera. And, uh, you know, I said it's the official podcast, so we decided we would bring in the most official official out there in the land, former head coach of the Briarcliff University Chargers, Nick Nelson, who uh, I believe now is spending some of his nights officiating high school basketball games uh, so welcome to the podcast nick it's great to see you. it's been a while since we had you on. i think last christmas uh we had you on over the phone i think the team was down in arizona at the time and we did kind of a call-in call-in show but how you been matt uh i've been great it's great to be back um props to you guys for keeping this thing rolling in year two i think anybody can start a podcast and do it for a season but uh the staying power of this one is really impressive and uh I'm looking forward to a great podcast today. And uh, Coach Figuera, you know, you guys, uh, we'll talk about last week's games, but I know you specifically, uh, you know, kind of have a, a love and hate relationship with a lot of officials that you run across. Uh, just in, in your opinion, just what does your gut tell you about Coach Nelson's ability to uh, to call a game without, you know, without letting coaches kind of get into his head or or kind of expose his emotion, those sorts of things. Do you think he's a guy who can maintain his composure? Because he can be a fired guy. Well, I think first I, I just need to get on record and say I lost some respect for him when he became an official. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll probably do a fine job as an official. You know, my biggest concern, and I've shared this with him, for him as an official is he's a little bit of a uh, sarcastic, smart you-know-what at times. And uh, I anticipate a situation where – he pops back at a coach about changing their defensive coverage or their ball screen coverage instead of yelling at him about something. But uh, as far as I know, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, Nick, we'll have, uh, we'll have plenty of time here in a little bit to talk to you about how that's going and how everything else is going. But before we do, we better do some recaps from uh, what went on this last week in Briarcliff Conference play. Uh, and we'll start with last Thursday night's game, home game against Hastings. An awesome game. I think we've had, you know, probably a dozen just classic down-to-the-wire games with Hastings over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Uh, and this was certainly another one. I think we were down maybe 14 early, closed the gap. Then we were down 10 again, closed the gap. And then it was pretty much back and forth most of the second half. Uh, Coach, what's it like? You know, we've had a few of these uh, on these podcast episodes. So, you know, we, we've had, a you know, some of these great games we've talked about. But, you know, what's, what's it like to overcome – two double-digit spreads, kind of ride that roller coaster of emotion and be able to close it out in the end with some huge performances, especially by a senior like Jackson Lamb? Well, it's stressful, uh, you know, but it's it's one of those deals where I would rather we stop putting ourselves in those positions early in games. But in that game in particular, you know, I as a coaching staff, a lot of that was probably on us on the defensive end. I thought we probably – tried to throw too much at our guys in terms of game planning and if if this was happening we're going to do this and if this is the lineup we're going to do this and and when guys have to think too much on the floor that's not going to be a good thing and I think that happened defensively early in the game and offensively we missed a few shots and and all of a sudden we're down 10 nothing just like that it takes us five minutes to score which is abnormal for us but you have to give a ton of the credit to to our guys for persevering through that and and sticking with it and cutting that lead to five at halftime, which is manageable, and then starting the second half strong and, and getting ourselves right back in it 
you know, that, that ultimately won us the game, I thought, was how we closed the first half and started the second half. And, you know, we had some big-time plays. Guys made some big shots. You know, you mentioned Jackson had a great game, 37 points. But I, I thought one of the unsung heroes was Cody Hicks coming in off the bench for us. And he hadn't, he hadn't played a whole lot of, you know, in-game rotation minutes this year. But he's been doing really well in practice. And he's an athletic, strong freshman who's just getting better and better. And he came up with a couple big finishes and also a huge block with under a minute to go that, that really helped us win that game. Let's talk about Jackson for a second because, you know, I sit down at the scorer's table and uh, when the game's on the line or when it's kind of in crunch time, you know, he's just completely fearless to take any shot on the floor. And I do mean any shot. Uh, you know, he there's a couple times where he'd bring it down and throw it up from, you know, 25 to 30 feet just with a hand in his face real early in the shot clock just because he's a guy who has that confidence, knows he can do it. As a coach, I mean, does does he have the green light when he wants it? Uh, or as a coach, do you still kind of shake your head sometimes? But at the end of the day, when the ball goes in, the ball goes in. So, I mean, what can you say, really? Well, it's a, it's a situational thing. You know, he definitely has the green light for us. He and I have talked a lot about, early in games and, and early in possessions when other guys get involved early and, and start making some shots, it makes our offense a lot better. But, you know, I can think back to that game for a couple of the shots you're talking about. You know, we're, we're talking five, six minutes left and tight game and we need to make sure we're scoring when we have the ball. And he's making them, he's making them, you know. And so I thought he did a really good job of that on Saturday. He, he made some shots early, but so did some other guys, and, and that just makes us so much better offensively when we can spread it around early in games. So let's fast forward then to, uh, to yesterday, Saturday. Uh, you guys were down at Midland, uh, and that was a, a tough game uh, that we came out on the losing side of. Uh, Midland scored a lot of points. Final score of that game was 99 to, to 86. Uh, just looking at the box score, and, and I was able to catch some of that game online, uh, you know, just it, it was a game where defensive stops were tough to come by. And speaking of defensive stops that are hard to come by, uh, we've got uh, the, the Viking Saints game on in here. And Cousins just threw a 50-yard bomb to Thielen to put him at first and goal. So we're kind of live uh, live potting the Vikings game as we're talking about. But back to the Midland game, you know, that's always been a high-scoring matchup. Uh, this was no exception. So what, you know, where do you think they were able to to really take advantage of was it defensive mismatches were they just executing what was the story of that game well I think first of all anytime we make 23s in a game and shoot 55 percent from the field we should probably win and you know we 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 had some guys really play well offensively yesterday on a, you know, on a day when when Jackson Lamb who's one of the leading scorers in the country struggled to score he was limited to eight points we had Jaden Klein Hesslink with 34 Connor Groves had 21 and, and Nick Hoyt had 18 and we shot the ball really well you know minus a few turnovers at, at inopportune times we played pretty well offensively um, that said our defense was equally as bad as our offense was good and I thought I thought we were just a little too passive I thought we played on our heels too much and to win on the road in this league you have to play defense at a higher level than that, and that's it's easier said than done. It's hard to play defense in this league. It's hard to be really good defensively in this league because the offense is so good. But you know, we were we were pretty disappointed in in our defensive effort and, and execution yesterday, and that's something that 
if it continues, you know, it's going to be hard to win games in this league, and that's something we have to address. Fortunately, this, this coming week, we have four days of practice. We don't play on Wednesday, um, and it's going to give us a little time to, to try to fix some things and, and adjust some things. But, uh, you know, yeah, disappointing loss. And, you know, it's, a, it's the same story we talked about the Hastings game. We dug ourselves a first-half hole, and you can overcome that at times. It's a little bit easier to overcome that at home. But when, when you play with fire like that, you know, there's times you're going to get burned. And, and we have to stop putting ourselves in those positions. And when we do that, you know, I think we're really going to be ready to make some, some big positive strides forward. All right, so like you said, uh, you got a break during the week, no weeknight games. And then on Saturday the 11th, you guys head down to play Doan down at their place. Um, they're a team that's struggled a little bit this year uh, so far. I think they're 0-8 in the conference. But, uh, you know, as we've mentioned before, uh, any game in the conference is, is unpredictable, and, and you're going to get everyone's best shot every single time. So what are your thoughts on this year's Doan team, and what are some things you're going to have to focus on? Well, you know, they're 0-8 they're in the league, but if you look a little deeper than just the record and you look at some of the scores, especially when they're playing at home, I think Mount Marty beat them by four or five points is all. Yesterday they, they lost in double overtime to Northwestern. You're talking about two top 25 teams right there. Um, you know, and, and they, they really play aggressively defensively. They force a lot of turnovers. They're going to try to slow the game down. Uh, you know, they're, they're not a team that's – all that excited about playing in the 80s and 90s like we would want to and I think that forces you to do a couple things one it forces you to be efficient offensively you have to be a little bit more selective with your shots you have to make sure you're valuing the ball and you're not having reckless turnovers especially against their pressure because when that happens it, it has a tendency to lead to easy points for them and you really have to be dialed in defensively for for longer stretches of time because they're going to they're going to be really willing to take 20, 25 seconds of the shot clock each and every possession. And, you know, there's a lot of teams in our league that don't do that. You know, us included in that, we're, we're okay shooting 8, 10 seconds into a shot clock if we have a good look. You know, and so going on the road against a little bit different style than, than maybe what we've played against here recently presents some challenges. It, it is a, a little bit of a luxury when you have this midweek bye that you get a little extra practice time. And, you know, these first few days, it's, it's going to be all about us anyway. And we're not going to focus on Doan until later in the week. But uh, it's a place where, just looking over the last few years, we've won down there, but we've, we've won some really tight games. And, and they've always played really well at home, and, and I don't think this year is going to be any different. And, you know, right now we're going to continue to focus on improving where we really need to improve and try to give ourselves the best chance as we go down there on Saturday. All right, so uh, just a quick reminder, that'll be uh, – so just a quick reminder, that game will be at 4 o'clock on Saturday the 11th down at uh, Crete, Nebraska. Um, and, you know, Coach, we usually talk about places to eat beforehand for, for fans of the game. And, Nick, I can bring you in on this too, but are there any recommendations in Crete, Nebraska or somewhere kind of on the way that you would recommend? You know, I don't know the restaurant scene in Crete all that well. There's been years where we've traveled by charter bus with our women down there, and when we do that, we generally eat right when we get to town because we're there way earlier than we normally would be, and we always eat in the subway, which is connected to the grocery store in town, which is actually a great stop. It's a good subway, maybe the best subway in the G-Pack, and there's an added little bonus to the, to the Crete subway sl slash grocery store, and that is 
you can buy homemade kolaches in the grocery store. They're right next to the subway, which, of course, I do, um, because when your last name's Figuera and you come from Czech heritage, you know, what a, you know where to get a good kolache, and Crete Grocery Store is one of them. Uh, but other than that, you know, post-game, you're talking probably some Valentino's pizza. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, but in terms of if, if fans are looking for a place, to be honest, you might have better luck just stopping on the way in Lincoln. You're going to have a lot more options. Nick, any thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to add, and I think Coach Figuera probably knows this, but I really enjoy grocery stores and especially the small-town, locally-owned grocery store. And uh, Crete's got a really good one. So even if you're not going to eat at the subway, I think it's just worth your while while you're in Crete. Just, just take a walk up and down the 8, 9, 10 aisles of the grocery store, browse the meat section, um, maybe ask to go to the bathroom in the back room in between all the boxes. Uh, it's just a really enjoyable experience. Uh, experience uh, for those of us who like that little slice of Americana. So you've, Nick, you've been on the road, you know, calling some high school games, officiating some high school games. Uh, so you've had an opportunity to, to kind of explore the Midwest here, some of those small towns. I know you've called games in Iowa, some in Nebraska. I don't know about South Dakota. I know their standards are pretty high over there, so I don't know if, if you'd cut it there. But, uh, you know, now that you've had a chance to, to kind of explore the Midwest here, have there been any hidden gems, anything, any even any just cool little towns that you hadn't been through before that, you know, kind of stand out to you? One thing I've got to be a little bit careful about today, Matt, I've learned this here in my first year in the uh, high school officiating uh, business. There's kind of a, a little bit of a code of uh, silence or secrecy among officials. It's not really cool to talk about you know, where you've worked, what, what games you've done. In fact, I learned that early on. You're not, you're not supposed to ask, like, another official, hey, what games have you gotten? You know, it's just uh, you're not supposed to really talk about it. Um, but having said that, what I'm mostly doing is working, uh, yeah, high school varsity basketball games in Iowa and Nebraska, and, and within an hour to an hour and a half of Sioux City. Um, now, having recruited for so long, I've pretty much been to all those gyms already. So, really, the only thing new is to learn the – where the officials change in each high school. Um, and that really runs the gamut. I've, I think in uh, Akron-Westfield, you change in the shop, which is positive because you, got, you have space, but the negative is you have brown dust all over yourself. So you have to dust yourself off. Uh, at Wisner-Pilger, uh, we changed in a bathroom. And so it's the, as you would imagine, a bathroom. It's got the urinal, the stall, and then about... 10 spare feet for the officials to change. Not a great experience. Um, West Sioux, really enjoyable, nice officials, locker room, uh, changing area. And there have been some other good ones that, that uh, were really nice. So you come to appreciate the little things like you do when you're coaching. And Coach Figuer and I talked a lot over the years about GPAC locker rooms, and it's the same when you're an official. You, you come to appreciate the little things. Um, does the administration take care of you? Some places you go and, you, man, you got a barbecue beef sandwich and a Gatorade after the game. Other places you get nothing. So you really come to uh, just appreciate those little things. Now you coached here for several years, uh, and then you were the AD, and so now you're officiating. So you've really seen every single angle of what it takes to run a basketball game. Um, you know, are there is there anything that – you have a new appreciation for that maybe you didn't before you started officiating, you know, 
real games. I mean, this is high school basketball. That's more than just rec league or, or intramural games in the gym. I mean, there's some real stakes here, and you probably have, you know, parents getting on you here or there and coaches getting on you here and there. And, and there's a lot of things that you were probably guilty of as a coach that now you have to uh, suffer through or, or at least learn how to uh, to cope with. So what I guess what what part of – the game of basketball, you know, is, is something that you've learned recently now that you've been officiating. Mm -hmm. So a few things there, um, you know, with respect to the fans, um, it doesn't bother me at all. Most, most fans are clueless. And some of the things that you hear yelled from the stands, it's, it's just comical. Um, and Coach Figuera, I'm sure, is going to pipe in because when you're recruiting and you're sitting up in the corner of a high school gym watching a recruit play, you hear all that as well. And it is just uh, – and Coach Figuera, I'm sure you want to pipe in. So Yeah, I ahead. do. Like, just off the top of your head, top three clueless, annoying comments from basketball fans. Well, you, you know, he knows that I'm going to say that you hear three seconds a lot, get them off a lot, over the back a lot. Which actually, you know, over the back is not even a foul in basketball. That's not that's there's no such thing as that. Hasn't, you know, there's a push. Hasn't been in decades. There, no. Uh, the one that is has surprised me, I guess, is you'd think that as a ref, you should call anywhere from forty-five to sixty-two travels a game <laughs> at the amount of travels you call. People, I don't think understand like pivot feet. Um, they certainly, I mean, man, you, a kid busts out a Euro step in a high school game. That's just going to blow that entire crowd away. Uh, but they just don't even understand pivot feet. And so you'd think, um, based on what you hear, honestly, that you should call travel every time. And so, so there's that, you know, the coaches, you know, having been a coach, I think that really does aid me because I know that coaches are insane during games. They're not logical. They're going to say just insane things whether to try to work you, try to gain an advantage, or just because they're insane in a game. And so that's not a problem. And, and uh, you know, so that's, you know, that is what it is. Uh, I have come to appreciate um, the official score. That's a big thing. Like the bench personnel is actually a big thing. In high school, you're going to get, I mean, even in, even in small college, you're going to get a variety of ability levels at, at scores tables. But high school, that makes a big deal if they're able to, like, buzz in the sub, um, just little things like that. So that's a big deal. Certainly love a pet band. I mean, that's one of the things that a, that a high school gym gives you. If you're Even if you're just refing the game, your experience, if there is a pet band, uh, is really – it just it, – it, it really helps. And so um, – other than that, I mean, from the officiating standpoint, I, I knew going in it would help having coached for so long, having been around for basketball for so long. All that's been true. You know, there is a lot to learn just from a mechanical standpoint, where exactly you're supposed to be standing, where, what you're supposed to be watching, all the different hand signals. I, I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to that over the years coaching. I would just yell at them if I thought they made a bad call. Um, so the mechanical side is probably the area where I've, I've had to grow the most. And I do find myself now when I, when I watch games on TV or go to games, it's funny, I find myself watching the officials and just learning from them uh, what they do, you know, just you, you try to pick little things up a little. You know, I've got to grow in some areas. I've got to get a better and one call. I've, I'm pretty shaky yet with my charge call. I want to be better at that. My toss, I'm, I'm just really inconsistent with my, my toss to the tip. Uh, so there's little things like that that I just I just want to keep growing. Coach Figueroa wants hey, to pipe in on have something. Have you called here. a technical yet? I have not. I promise if I call a tech, it will be with my full hand and palm, all five okay, fingers, all that, five fingers. That was going to be my next follow-up was 
you know, what's your what's your technique here? I want to say this. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the officials with the pointy finger, single index finger text. There was another one in the game this last uh, – I was at the game, um, the Hastings game, this last week where I think a Hastings player got teed up for yeah, swearing. And the official, who we both know, Coach Figuera, again did the single index finger technical. That's three times I've seen that now in the last calendar year. I don't know. That's not in the officials' manual. I, I don't think it's. It's. Uh, so I think that's just some ad libbing done by the officials, and I think that 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 needs to go probably. Yeah, I, I can't get on board with that. And you know, being that my only career technical at this point is the single finger technical, I'm not a fan. You know, I will. I will say this, and I'm. I'm. I guess I'm biased now because I'm on the officiating side. Um, I, I think all all fans and all coaches think officials are terrible and they're out to get their team and they're it really. Um, you know, I've come to appreciate the professionalism of officials. You know, they go back in the locker room at halftime of the game. You talk about the calls that happened over the first half. You you know, as a general rule, they're just they're just trying to get it right. And the reality is, in basketball especially. It's going so fast, like you're going to miss calls, but there's not enough time to think about like, oh, I don't like that guy. I'm going to screw him. I'm going to make a bad call here. I don't like that. what that coach said. I'm going to – there's just not enough time for that. So you miss calls, yep, but, but it's not ever done with any kind of uh, – maybe, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine it, you'd have the time to, to purposely make a bad call. Let's talk about calling a charge because I think we've all been there. We've all seen those refs who get the leg kick going and then they do a full extension with the arm and kind of mm -hmm. get animated and kind of get into it. Is that? Do you think that's just more a personal style thing? Do you just get into the game and get into the energy of the game? Or do you think some refs like to make it about them? I mean, what's what's your style? Do you get that animated? Or do you have a problem I, with that? No, I don't get really animated, animated yet. I do have a good block call. I think I've, if, you see, if you've seen me work, you know I've got a really good block call. Um, the charge, what I'm trying to go with, what I do is I raise my left arm on the, on the foul, so you fist with the left arm, and then I'm trying to go right hand in my chest while I punch with my left arm. So you got a little bit of that kind of karate punch style. Uh, what they do talk about a little bit in officiating is if it's a bang-bang, 50-50 call, it's okay to really accentuate the louder whistle, really come with a strong, like, I got this. So, you know, a lot of good officiating, it's, it's not even the judgment of the call, but it's selling it. And so, um, you know, I think I want to get, I want to get better at that again. I just, I'd like to have a little bit more of a stylistic and one call. I think I'm pretty vanilla. I just hand up, boom, down with the two fingers. Nothing super creative yet. Um, I think I can. I think I can grow in that respect. The great disservice to the listeners of this podcast right now is not being able to see all of this live right now because the hand signals were hilarious. I would. I would also add, Matt. I just. I'd like to. You know. I'm, I'm enjoying having the microphone here and having the chance to talk. Um, you may not know this, but not only am I officiating, I'm also the assistant coach for the Bishop Heenan fourth grade girls basketball team. Oh. So I am still coaching. I am still called coach. Uh, in fact, our team earlier today suffered a disheartening 10 to 8 sudden death overtime loss. Really disheartening because we were up 8 to 4 at halftime. Uh, so that's right. We did not score the entire second half or in the first overtime and then sudden death. And so that was disheartening to go an entire half plus OT without scoring a bucket. Yeah. Oh, I, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. That takes me back to my old St. Pat's and Sheldon days when – 
we were in sixth grade and we were just awful. And I remember, I think we scored our first points maybe second or third game of the season. Ooh. And it was a huge, huge team win, moral victory when those points went up on the scoreboard. And they were brighter than the other side because the other side, you know, the visitor side of our scoreboard obviously had cycled through a few different times. Oh. And so when our score finally got to go up, those bulbs were completely unused. And they just lit up, not only lit up that gym, but they lit up our hearts and our mm. confidence. And, you know, from there, we, we knew we were going to score two more points before the end of that season. Side note here, and this just made me think of this. I don't want to change subjects, but are you, you guys are young, so I don't know. You may not remember this. If we've got any old listeners, like if Lance Creech is listening to this right now, he would remember, I'm sure. But back in the day, the high school gym, I'm not sure if college gyms did, used to have like the, the long white pole. It was like a little circle with like the numbers one, two, three, four, and five on it. So that like when a guy got called for a foul, like if it was 33 and it was his foul, like the th number three would light up. Like it was kind of like a manual lighted like white pole. You, you guys are looking at me like, you know, these are young, no young guys. Go check it out. See if you can find one because I, I think it'd be really cool to bring that back. It's an old school relic of old time basketball. Um, yeah, I, I, there's really no point in that. I just wanted to see if you'd remember that. Before we get too far, there was another refing question that I've been dying to ask you. And so I want to get your opinion on this. Okay. You know, this happens in every sport where there's maybe kind of a 50-50 situation where a call could go one way or the other. Let's say it's let's say it's a situation where maybe there's a bobbled uh, dribble or something like that. And you've got the crowd yelling and the ref will shake his head no as he's not calling the travel. He'll shake his head no, I guess, as a way to communicate with the crowd like, yeah, I know that was a close call, but I know what I'm doing. I personally have a problem with that. If it's not, a, if it's a no call, there's no need to communicate that with the crowd. To me, it's it's kind of a way to just kind of cover your own butt, or I'm not sure what it is, but I have a, a huge personal problem with that. Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? I, I, refs will will non-verbally communicate yep. that that I understand what you think you saw, but yep. you didn't. Well, sometimes they may also just be doing that to communicate to the coaches as well. It may not be about the fans. Um, sometimes you see the refs do like the, again, can't see me now, but like the hands, like the bobble signal, yeah. like if, they, if they're not going to make a call. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. I, di I will say this. I did find myself early in the season, one of my first games, I did make a comment to a fan, and I was mad at myself after because you shouldn't do that. They're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. But the scenario is this. It's the start of the second quarter. I, th I think I can say this here It's because it, I'm not going to give away the game, but we've got Unity Christian boys at Cherokee boys, okay? Unity Christian gets the ball to start the second quarter. I'm the ref that is inbounding the ball. So hand the ball, they inbound the ball, right? Um, and so Unity Christian gets the ball, whatever. Um, not more than 30 seconds in, there's a jump ball, okay? So it's going to go Cherokee's way, right? There's some fan, like, just screaming, like, in the first row, well, White got the ball to start the quarter. Are, are you, you know, I'm like, so I actually was kind of standing there, and I kind of just without – Without turning around, I said, sir, Blue got the ball not more than 30 seconds ago to start the quarter. And uh, I was mad at myself after the fact because, uh, you know, why would you – you don't, you shouldn't give the fan who's clueless the satisfaction that, that, of knowing that, that you can hear them, right? You shouldn't do that. Rookie mistake on my part. Yeah, and, and a little-known fact – well, you know this, but for the listeners, I – I will be attending the game that you officiate at some point this year, and I'm going to have an index card of fan cliches that I'm going to constantly yell at you to try to provoke you to say something to me during the game. 
you can go ahead and do that, Coach. Um, and, and if I know you're there, I hope I see you so I have a chance to, like, prepare myself to ignore you. But um, And Coach did allude to this earlier. I do have to fight the urge to sarcastically respond to coaches at times. It just, just uh, you know, um, when, you've, you, when you've coached a long time, you know the things they're going to say and why they're saying it and when they're saying it. And, and so – you know, there's just times earlier in the game, earlier in the season, I had a coach that was, oh, he's the best player on the floor. You guys can't call that, you know. And I think I said something like, Coach, we all know who the best player on the floor is. Just relax, you know. And just, to, but you have to try to, you know, sarcasm is not going to be the right answer, um, pretty much in any situation. It may be if, if I was working a game that Coach Figueroa was coaching, maybe then. But other than that, not going to be the right response. Yeah. So I mean. With that being said, true or false, your dream officiating matchup is Briarcliff versus Dakota Wesleyan. I would, I would be thrilled for the opportunity to uh, ref a game that involved uh, Coach Figuera and then uh, and then Coach Matt Wilbur um, up in Mitchell. I would ask this: I'm going to turn this around on Coach Figuera and ask him the question, um, Coach. What's your perspective if a ref comes back at you with sarcasm? Um, are you going to appreciate that? Are you going to respect that? Are you going to be? Are you going to think that's unprofessional? How, how are you going to take that if if you say something that you know is probably kind of ridiculous, but you're begging for a call? Ref comes back at you with sarcasm. How are you going to respond? Well, every situation is going to be a little different. I think part of it's going to depend on classic who, coach Figueroa political. No, no, no. Not taking I'm, any stance response. I'm going to I'm going to answer this question. There's certain guys that it would upset me. And set me off, but there's a lot of guys who officiate. Ooh, name them. No, I'm not going to okay. do that. There's a lot of guys in this league who it actually has the effect of just shutting me up, because I also realize that I'm fairly sarcastic myself on the sideline with the officials to an extreme at times. And so if they're going to shoot it back at me, I I just have to live with it, and and I'll probably just shut up to be honest with you. You know, I remember years ago. Uh, Joe Wells, who's an official, been around this league for a long, you know, any listeners um, who are actually listening to this who've been around the GPAC know who Joe Wells is. But one, one time many, many years ago, he told me in the game, just shut up. And he said it just like that. And uh, I wasn't real happy at the time. Uh, I love Joe Wells. Um, you know, I just, it's always stuck with me, just kind of the way he said it. Um, it was pretty demeaning, really, when I think back <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's certain guys that sometimes it's how they say it or, or just what they say that you know you probably just need to listen and shut up, and that's definitely his signature move is the shut up. Let me ask both of you this thing because you've both fallen victim at least once of a GPAC technical, but you've both seen your fair share. Who calls the best technical as far as uh, GPAC referees go? Well, I have to correct you, Matt. I've never had a technical in a GPAC game. My only career technical was at the national tournament last year in a in a 35 point game at the time so you know but but we see enough I, I really don't have a favorite I guess if it's going to, if it's going the other way against the other team that that's my favorite yeah I don't I don't uh wow style on text is not something I've thought about I only got one technical foul um as a head coach in the GPAC um, and it was at Concordia. My, I think it was my last year as head coach. Now, uh, I, w I did one time. This was when I was an assistant coach at Central College, long before I became, came to Briarcliff. I got teed up as an assistant once, and that's a, that's a sick feeling. That is not something you ever want to have happen. 
but what happened is the official. This was at B- Benavista. The game was at BV. We're ge- we were getting our we were getting kicked. Um, the official called the tee and then walked over like five feet away from me and pointed his finger in my face and said and said I'm not taking anything from the assistant, uh, just to humiliate me as best as he could. I never forgot that one. Tell the rest of the story. Um, I don't know what your other if it's just that. So my boss at the time, the head coach, is a guy by the name of Mike Boshi. Uh, he's now at Bemidji State, but but that set Coach Boshi off. He blew up literally, literally was out at half court, like in the center circle, with his hands raised. I'm not gonna say the official's name, but saying, "Oh, you're the big man now." <laughs> name, you're the big show. Completely. I mean, he should have been thrown out of the game. I mean, he's out. At, the coach can't just walk out to the half court. The center circle. I'm not talking about, like, still on the sideline. I'm talking about physically on the court. Nope, didn't get a tee. But, yet I had said, like, one thing and got teed up. And, and so I've always – that's what's always sometimes amazed me over the years is, is in college that typically the, the officials will give the head coaches a lot of leeway. You know, you can say almost anything, but they're not going to take anything from the assistant coaches. And once in a while you go to a high school game and you'll, you'll see the assistant coaches chirping at the refs. And I've always been like, why do they – I, I will not be taking that. I will tell you this. My first game as a ref where the assistant coaches, that's that's not going to happen. They're going to get a good old-fashioned good old fashioned sit down or something. Yeah, you would have hated me as an assistant coach then. No, I would have thrived on that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so, brought up your time at Central. That's actually only my second favorite story of your time coaching at Central College. And there's another story that I think needs to be told. I think you guys were playing at University of Dubuque, and you got an email the next day, if I'm not oh. mistaken. I think that story should be told. Coach Figueroa has a memory like a steel trap. He just doesn't ever forget anything. It's quite amazing. Almost close to Coach Schultz, but not quite. But, uh, no, one time I was an, assist- I was an assistant coach, and Coach Boshi again, um, just game's not going our way at UD. He did get teed up on this. Uh, so he, he goes berserk, gets teed up, rips off his sport coat, um, which, by the way, Coach Wilbur did yesterday. I was at, I went to the Dakota Wesleyan Morningside game, and Coach Wilbur did a really sweet jacket takeoff. But anyway, I digress. Coach Boshi rips his jacket off and just like does like the backhanded chuck back towards the bench. Hits me like right in the face, like almost comically, like covers my entire face. Like <laughs> the jacket just envelopes me. You know what I'm saying? Envelops or envelopes? Envelops me. What's the right pronunciation? Envelopes me. Just covers my face. I take it off, set it back, you know. Uh, this is the best part about the story, though, is I get back in the next day. Yeah, I think it's probably – yeah, it's pre-smartphone. I, you don't have email on your phone, right, in those days. And so, no, I don't think so. No, you don't. Uh, so I get back in my office the next day, and some young enterprising University of Dubuque student had taken it upon himself to go to the Central College Athletic website, find my email address, and it just said, Hey, Nelson, how did Boshi's coat taste? Um, was the email I got from some UD student. Um, I don't even remember now if I replied. It was funny. I laughed about it. I mean, I gave the kid credit for, you know, he had to clearly had to walk out of the gym, no smartphones, go back to his dorm, probably in the computer lab or maybe had a computer in his room. It's a Wednesday night game. Go to the central website. Look, I mean, he had to do some work to do this. Um, and so credit to that young man. It was probably, I don't know, 2004, five, six, somewhere in there. Kids, 30 some years old now but anyway yeah is that the story you're talking about coach yeah that's the one
So let's get serious for a minute. You know, you you were the AD here, and then you left to uh, kind of take on a new venture. What have you been up to the last what I don't know six to eight months? I'm trying to think when you when you left the cliff last May or June. Oh, uh, it was April one. So okay. other than other than my second and third careers as a high school basketball official and fourth grade assistant girls basketball coach, I I went into the world of managing investments. I had a, a good friend. Um, by the name of Jason Kleiss, who doesn't listen to podcasts, by the way. I've tried to get him on board, but he he just doesn't. He's kind of old-fashioned in some ways. Um, but went into business with him, so that's what I'm doing now. Big change. I'm in the in the real world. And, and so um, really the the chance to officiate and even coach, even coach fourth-grade girls basketball, that's been kind of my outlet for still being able to be around the game, which was my main reason for wanting to get into officiating in the first place. So that's what I'm doing, Gall. Cause so, Nick, I, I don't know if you've been listening to all the episodes this season so far of this podcast, but we were talking to Jackson Lamb a few weeks ago, and he was talking about podcasts and how he doesn't really get it. He doesn't get the the uh, this medium, and he doesn't get you know the appeal, I guess, of just listening to people talk. But I know you're a huge podcast guy. I know Coach Figueroa is a big podcast guy. So I thought maybe we could use this opportunity to, to maybe get some of your guys' recommendations on some of your go-tos, whether they're sport-related or not. Okay, so um, before I forget, I am going to say one thing. I, I am a, a loyal listener to this podcast. I believe it was the last podcast. I do have a beef with you guys. Is this is there like a section for beefs, or I know you do like your champ or chump? Yeah, we we can just but make this like an all time festivus, the airing of grievances. I'm airing one grievance. Actually, this is you're on point there because your talk about changing the Christmas day that was ridiculous. You guys are better than that. I mean, Christmas is December 25th. I understand the whole idea, but you you I mean, Christmas is December 25th. Plus, you know. Then I think you start talking about New Year's Day. It's January 1. You can't change the date of January 1. And so I think you have to just live with those two holidays being on the days they fall. Now, I will say this. I think I invented this. I'm not sure. Maybe I heard it from somebody else. The one I'm big on is the 4th of July. Okay? But that's on the 4th of July. You can't but hang change on. it, Nick. But follow me. Let's do a little trivia time. What's the other name for the 4th of July? What else do we call that holiday? Independence Day. That's very good, Coach Figueroa. So, did you know that the very first ever Independence Day was on a Thursday? Okay, so follow me on this. I think the ideal time for a holiday, in my opinion, is a Thursday because that sets up a four-day weekend. In my opinion, they need to change the 4th of July to Independence Day, and it's just like Thanksgiving. It's the first Thursday of July is always Independence Day. If there's one person listening to this right now who doesn't think that's a good idea, I mean, I challenge you to email in to Matt Gall with, with why not, because that's, that's the one holiday that should just be changed. Should be, should be the first Thursday of every July, Independence Day. doesn't have to be the 4th of July. That makes no sense. It's Independence Day. So um, I lost what we were talking about. Oh, podcast. So back to that now. We're kind of jumping around. So, Coach, forget I'm going to just rattle off some of my favorite. I don't know how many I can do. Um, uh, this is an open forum. There's no time limit on this podcast. Okay, so just trying to – okay, sports-wise, I love the Bill Simmons podcast. I love the CBS Sports NCAA basketball podcast. I love the Titus and Tate uh, college basketball podcast. Even though he, I can't stand him half the time, I do listen to The Herd with Colin Cowherd some, the low post for NBA basketball, Bill Simmons' book of basketball. Uh, now we're getting into politics a little bit. They're pretty liberal, but I like Pod Save America. I like the Chuck Toddcast. 
Um, okay, now, any aspiring financial advisors? By the way, there's a great financial advisor success podcast. Love history podcast. There's some great ones. Coach Figueres is probably going to say a lot of these, but American History Tellers, uh, Tides of History, Slate, uh, The Thread. Uh, man, I'm Coach, you probably listened to a lot of these. I like the rewatchables. Sports Wars is a great sports podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm about out of gas now. There's, there's more I could go with, but uh, I, I think Coach Figueres is anxious to talk and, and maybe list some that I haven't already listed. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to avoid – repeats because we listen to a lot of the same podcast but uh a couple new ones i've i've been listening to history versus uh interesting yeah yeah um i'm a big fan of the nick ball podcast nick's a nebraska guy played at creighton uh talks about all things college basketball he's a husker homer which is a little annoying at times but uh he does a really good job he's a college basketball analyst on on fox sports American Elections, American Scandal, both great history ones. You mentioned the Rewatchables. That's maybe the best podcast out there. And what it is, for those of you that don't know, Bill Simmons has guests on, and they, they rewatch old movies and talk about them. Unbelievable. And it's, it's so good. You have to pick and choose, obviously, the movies you like or know for the podcast to make sense, but it's hilarious. Slow Burn, great podcast. Uh, Book of Basketball 2.0 you mentioned, but that's a great one. Mafia, that's one of my favorites, comes out every Friday, talk about the history of the Mafia. And then my, my personal favorite podcast, it's out every summer, is Revisionist History by uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. I think that's yep. the best podcast on the market. Matt Gall, do you listen to any podcasts that were not mentioned there? Yeah, I think I hit some of those. Revisionist History is a big one uh, for me. Uh, WTF, it's a podcast. Mark hmm. Marin, a comedian, he interviews okay. a lot of other comedians, actors, musicians, pop culture people. Uh, and they, it's kind of a, a Howard Stern type of format where they really get into uh, personal things and controversial things with, with people's past. So that's a good one. Uh, but I think you guys really hit most of them. One that I, one that I just found that is kind of just a real empty calories type podcast that's good to listen to if you've got nothing else going on and you're in the car. It's called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet. And what it is is it's, it's these two people, and they go out and find real – uh, like reviews for uh, veterinary clinics and grocery stores or whatever it is, just different reviews. And they read these reviews set to dramatic music and other things where people are just bashing on, you know, surfboard <coughs> shops or mechanics or ski lodges. I mean, they each episode's a different category. So, and it's a different city. So I think there was one that was grocery stores in Des Moines. And they just go out and find like one star reviews of grocery stores in Des Moines. And they read them, like I said, set to this really dramatic music. It's hilarious. It's really funny. I recommend that one. if You're just looking for something light and for a good laugh. But no, I think all those are really good recommendations. I guess my question is, how do you have time to listen to all of those on top of a full-time career, on top of coaching, and on top of officiating? I mean, that's an impressive list. Do you subscribe to all these and you hit them on a weekly basis or do you just kind of pick and choose episodes that you think sound interesting so i don't know what coach Figuera does but but here's kind of how i'd structure it i've got some of those that are kind of part of my i would call them my daily routine podcast you know the i have about a 15 to 20 minute drive to work um you know and then i like to run a lot that's that's kind of what i do for exercise so if i go on a you know a 30 45 minute run you know that's when i'm going to listen to those if i am driving uh, to officiate by myself i'm certainly listening to podcasts that's really i got into podcasts originally just recruiting just being in your car for three you know so um so i've got those and then i've got some podcasts that i, I kind of reserve for 
longer road trips, uh, mowing in the summertime. If I'm working out in the yard, uh, I'm going to listen to, you know, there, there you got a couple hours for podcasts. So I've got sort of my regular rotation ones and then some of the ones that aren't dated, uh, you know, like some of the history ones that doesn't really matter when you listen to them. Then I'll save those and kind of bank those for long trips. Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously, especially this time of year, I spend a lot of time in the car going to high school games or, or what have you, and so that gives me a lot of time to listen to podcasts. But I I listen you – know, I start in the morning usually and listen something on the way to, on the way to the office, and when I go home to eat lunch, I, I listen to podcasts the whole time. And so I just kind of have my routine, and I have the certain ones that I'm going to listen to first. And, you know, like Nick said, there's some that are – relevant for a day or two and then they're not relevant anymore so you want to get those knocked out or, or you're not going to listen to them probably but i think this also brings up the time you know i have some ideas for some spinoff podcast of my own you know the first one's life rules just uh my own kind of airing of grievances uh and actually this is my wife's idea and i i've probably mentioned it to nick before but we have a, a Marx Figuera nick nelson spinoff podcast called starting five where we just debate and argue with each other about the starting five of, you name it, starting five Pearl Jam songs, whatever it is. But that that's another spinoff podcast that could be in the works at some point. I think that'd be huge. I mean, I can't imagine there. I mean, there would be, I think, a real hunger and a thirst for that podcast right there. Elderly woman behind the counter of a small town bar is the point guard on the Pearl Jam starting five, in my opinion. Yellow Ledbetter's in the post. Um... I had thought about it. would be fun to start like an officiating podcast where you could tell stories about, you know, the crazy things you heard in, you know, experiences and maybe you interview an official every week. But back to what I said in the beginning, I, I have learned there is sort of this and I get it. There's kind of an honor code of silence among officials. You don't really talk about where you've worked, what games you've done, stories that happen. You just sort of keep it within the brotherhood of officials and maybe it's got to be that way so i'm not sure that that i think what would happen is if i started that officiating podcast i'd be excluded pretty quickly by the ref community and i can't i can't be having that with my new brothers you're a man of integrity nick and i think that's why you've uh you've been so successful in everything you've done wow that is i don't even know how to describe that last sentence you just said there matt but thank you so, uh, Coach, you talked about life rules, uh, maybe starting a podcast. You know, as our listeners know, that's something you've been you've been sharing a nugget of your wisdom every week here. Um, and so now, I guess, is as good of a time as any to hear what you have for us this week. Well, as, as people have learned, a lot of my life rules are grievances or things that annoy me that other people do. But I think it's important to be able to poke a little fun at myself sometimes, too. And, and so this week's life rule is don't punch inanimate objects especially with your with your dominant hand i have a bad habit of doing that i've punched many a floor in my day as a coach um full disclosure at halftime of yesterday's game against midland i was frustrated with how the first half ended and they had i don't know if they were wrestling mats or dance mats they were one of the two right outside of our locker room and i thought hey that's just a mat that's something good to punch not a good idea. Did not feel good. For a fleeting second, I thought I broke my wrist. I didn't, fortunately. But uh, it, it, it's just something I should probably stop doing. So don't don't punch things for no reason. That just seems like common sense to me, I guess. But I, I will vouch that Coach Figueroa is, he is kind of a puncher. Um, he did – I'm sure this has been talked about on the podcast. He dented the floor at Bellevue University once back when I was still the head coach. He just kind of hijacked a timeout from me. I think he, like – 
what I recall is um, we're getting beat at Bellevue. It's a frustrating game. I called timeout. It's a full timeout, so we're setting the, the chairs up on the floor as we do. I think this is what happened. I think Coach Figueroa, like, pushed me aside, like, shoved me and said, I'm taking this one. And I stumbled, and then he just – he knelt down in front of the guys, and then he just punched the floor. He Like, he punched the floor straight down. Powered – yeah, I mean, uh, so that I can vouch for that. Coach, um, is the Midland locker room still like a mile and a half from the floor? Is that is that is that the locker room I'm thinking about that you were in? Uh, I'm going to answer that, but – here was the actual situation with the Bellevue timeout. It, it, everything Nick said is pretty accurate. Yeah. But I think we also need to include it was the first half. You get six timeouts in an NAI basketball game. Well, this was the fourth one we'd called in the first half, which doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room in the second half. And I just thought, you know what? Three straight Nick timeouts. None of them were working, by not, the way. Not working. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to take this one, and that's exactly what happened. I couldn't tell you one thing I said in the timeout, but I do remember punching the floor. My hand hurt for a couple of days afterwards. And if I'm not mistaken, we called a fifth timeout in the, in the same first half, and I think Coach Schultz commandeered that one and took over. He might have. And uh, what's, what's slightly disappointing, it also explains those guys. Like, I think the, the guys on the team at that time, so that was like – that would have been the senior year of, like, assistant coach Brian Forbes, Shane Graves, Austin Leffler, those dudes. I think they thought it was funny more than anything. Like, like we're getting our butts kicked here. We're, we're getting worked by Bellevue. And they thought it was funny that Coach Figueroa punched the floor. Um, is that – am I right, Coach? Yeah, that's my I think recollection. so. And, yeah. and actually, I remember at halftime, we were coming out of a pretty unpleasant halftime. And uh, I stood outside the door, and I was kind of fist bumping every player as they came out. And Shane was the last one to come out. And he, everybody else had fist-pounded me on the hand I'd punched the floor with that was swollen at the time. And, and Shane just looked up at me, and he, he said, really, dude? And just walked off. <laughs> didn't fist-bump me at all. And it, it didn't hit me until after the game what he was actually doing. But uh, he was actually just looking out for me. So thanks, Shane. Coach Figueroa, you didn't answer the question yet about the Midland locker room. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, you've talked about locker there. rooms on this podcast, but the Midland locker room has got to be – in small college basketball, it's got to be the farthest locker room from the court that I, that I can ever remember. I mean, it's a good three, 400 yards away, right? I yeah. Mean, and, and I don't up know if I'm exaggerating uh, that. Uh, up I? some stairs, too. Upstairs, flights of stairs, around the concession stand, through the crowd, across a track and a field turf, you know, tartan surface, uh, weaving through several obstacles along the way. I mean, it's uh, – it's a trip. So, go so ahead. you're going to be disappointed in the answer. We were not in that locker room yesterday. Oh, okay. We we got to we got to Midland and they had a wrestling deal going on in that second gym there, which is their old gym, and we were downstairs in one of the main locker rooms in the gym, and the walk is something else, especially at halftime, as you can remember, because you're trying to collect your thoughts, maybe write a couple of things down, but you're also like jogging yeah. because you have limited time to get to the locker room. And so we're right there on the floor, which was great, but the, the space was incredibly small. And, and you and I, I know, are both all about big space in the locker room. And this, this one was really small. So I think it was – flip a coin, which one's better? I think the, the big one ultimately is probably better and further away from everything too. Well, and the logistics of yesterday may have what – that may have been what led to your punch because, you know, if the locker room is, you know, 800 yards away like the usual one – you've got some time to cool down on the way down or at least probably get your wits a little bit about you. Whereas if you – I mean, I can imagine yesterday knowing where the bench is, you, I mean, you, like 10 seconds after you walked off the court halftime, you were at the locker room. So you were ready to punch still at that point. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and, and 
you could be right, but I think you're also just giving me more things to punch along the way with the further walk. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you're Fans, right, but uh, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't do that because there is a back way that, that we've discovered yep. you can you can get there yep. without having to go through the, the foyer there. And, uh, you know, I think I could have avoided the fans, but I probably would have punched a door, which would have been worse than the, than the mat I punched. I just had a great idea. I think I'm going to do this for Coach, or maybe his staff would do this, or what. Uh, when do you turn 40, Coach? How many years? Uh, uh, we got we got over four years to go still. So I don't know if you guys, again, are so young, but they used to have these, like, it was like this, like, it was like an inflatable, like, dummy, like, he didn't have, like, arms and legs, but he was, like, weighted at the bottom. Oh, yeah, so you could, like, punch bag. it, and it would come back up. Like, they need to have, make one, like, this is a great idea, actually. I might have just stumbled into, like, a real business idea. Like, either it's either, like, an official or I don't know what, you know, made to look like an opposing player. And then Coach Figueroa can just, like, come in and punch anytime his team's had a bad half. Um, just, you know, you know what I'm saying. Funny story about those balloon punching guys. I forget what they're called, but we had one. And uh, when my son was, like, three, we, we got one for him. And the base is full of sand. It's real heavy. And so what we figured out is if you kind of grabbed it by the top and threw it, it would, you know, the, the heavy end would lead and then it would land and it would bobble and it was really cool and it would get him laughing. And so we were throwing it and kicking it around. And so we're in our living room and I kick it and we've got this little, in the entrance way to our house, there's this little foyer or whatever you call it where you put your coats and all that stuff. And there's a glass door on the interior. Bottom of the punchy blow up man guy goes through the glass, shatters the Ooh. glass, and of course the pane of glass rips open the uh, the balloon guy. So not only am I uh, very frustrated and probably throwing out some uh, throwing out some expletive expletives, Matt. Throwing out some expletive some some some, some four letter words. Matt can't say expletives for Expl the listeners. Expletives. Uh, so I'm throwing out some bad words, and my son's crying because his toy's broken. It was just, it was a mess. And of course, the kicker is that there's sand everywhere because this oh, thing's just that's completely full of sand. Bottom, yeah. So there's sand and shards of glass, and my son's tears and everything just kind of pooling on the floor. But uh, now is this the same son who once wore his youth flag football uniform and cleats into a dive bar to watch a Hawkeye football game? Is that the same son? That was, yeah. We so he's come out of it okay then. Yeah, we had yeah. to make a pit stop on the way to football game at, yeah. uh, at Marty's Tap so we could see what was going on in the Iowa game. I believe they were playing. Uh, yeah, yep. Okay. That was the game where the Rutgers punter put like, I don't know, 15 punts in the five yard line. Wow, or good, like that. good recollection. Yeah, there. it was a terrible, recall, terrible yeah. game. Iowa won, but they probably could have scored 60 points if they hadn't pinned them. But uh, yeah, that's him, Kay. my only boy. Yeah. So this whole conversation started with, with a life rule. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to flip it on to Nick because I know Nick's got life rules too. Might not call him that, but uh, you got a life rule for the listeners, Nick? Well, again, what Coach Figueroa calls life rules, I really call, again, more his grievances or his, uh, his pet peeves. I'm just going to circle back to something I said at the beginning. You know what? If you're fortunate enough to live in a community with a local small-town grocery store, take advantage of that. It's a blessing, um, just the smell, the ambiance, the atmosphere. Um, I think probably like in cities, um, or at least around here, Fairway is probably comes closest to being able yeah, to replicate so. that. Now it's a chain, and and but that's probably what comes closest. Um, I grew up working in a place called Rice's Super Value when I was in high school. Shout out to Rock Rapids, Iowa. Uh, Rice's Super Value uh, does not exist anymore, but uh, you know what? If you're fortunate enough to live in one of those communities. 
just appreciate it. Take advantage of it. Um, shop there so it can stay open. Is, does that count as a life rule? That's yeah, my life I, rule I think for it the day. Does. And I, I can get on board with this, being uh, that I have gro- the grocery business in my blood. You know, Sfagera's Grocery on 27th and Madison in Omaha was a, uh, a local grocery store back in the 30s and 40s, 50s. And then my, my grandpa on the other side, Grandpa Barney, he had a grocery store in Papillion, Nebraska called the Golden Rule. So I'm all on board with this. Okay, now, uh, Nick, if you've been listening, you know we also do a Champ or Chump segment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take this one. Uh, if you have one or two champ or chump questions for coach. Okay, so let's talk about officiating a little bit here and get Coach Figueroa's perspective. So, Coach, the official who will frequently, after he's made a call, come over and stand in front of your bench and try to explain it to you, um, just feel you know desire to have a conversation or explain. He's also doing that to the other coach. So the official that's talking – to the coaches a lot in front of their bench during the games going on. Is that is that official a champ or a chump? That that official's a champ. Because I personally I like when the officials will communicate with me. I, I I think it's a chump if I ask a question and you just say, Nope. That that irritates me. You know, if you're if you're gonna say even if I still disagree with you, explain to me what you called, you know, there's times where I might just ask an official, hey, you know, what what you what'd you call there? What can I tell my guy differently so he doesn't get that call again? You know, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's a champ. I got no problem with that. Okay, Coach, how about this one? Champ or chump, the official knows that your best player has got three fouls on him early in the second half, and this would work the way for the other team as well, and there's a bang-bang play, and your player could definitely be called for a fourth foul. And instead, the official gives that foul to another player, maybe just some scrub, whatever. So he basically he lets the player's foul situation dictates who he calls a foul on. Some might call that good game management on the official's part. Some might call that no, you got to call the game regardless. So is that official that knows who the best player is and lets that affect a call? Is that official a champ or a chump? That official's a champ. I I, I liken this to I call it an NBA call, you know where. Guy probably fouls somebody on the arm, but the ball goes out of bounds, and they just give it to the team that was fouled to protect a player. I think that's smart. That's good game management. Okay, here's my last one. This one is for own personal reasons because I experienced this a week ago, and I was I was criticized by my two crewmates uh, in this uh, in this. I don't know if these guys are listeners or not, but uh, so the situation is it's a high school girls basketball game, holiday tournament, varsity girls basketball. One team is ahead by 35. Okay. About three minutes to go. Girl on the team who's ahead by 35 charges into the lane, borderline out of control, knocks over a girl on the team that's down 35. The official calls a block on the girl on the team that's down 35 and a bang-bang 50-50 call. The official in his mind thought it was a block. He thought the girl slid, so he called a block. So that official, calling it like he sees it, is he a champ or a chump? Well... I can't speak to officials' code of ethics or anything. That's a chump, though. Yeah. Let's let's let let's just you know they're down 35. We don't need to add insult to injury. Depending on the state you're in, that could really alter um, running clock. <laughs> which uh, when you're on the road recruiting and you're a couple hours away from home, when that happens, it's a glorious thing because that means you're going to get home just a little bit sooner. So just just let it go. Give it a no call or call it on the team up 35. 
Well, I was informed by my partners that I was a chump after that because I, they basically their thought was, hey, listen, you call a charge there, nobody in the crowd is going to say anything. The team's up 35, you know, don't call a block in that situation. So I, that's what I learned that day. Yeah, what's the situation? I mean, is this a kid who's been sitting on the bench most of the game and who got an opportunity? Maybe it's some of her only varsity minutes during the season. I mean, to me, that, that there's a lot of variables there that, that kind of go into it. So I don't know. I think you call it like, like you see it. And uh, if that's what he thought the call was, I get where you guys are coming from. Uh, but, you know, I, to me, you know, as, as uh, somebody who sits there at the scores table and I take my job very, very seriously, and integrity is, is a very important part of, of uh, you know, how I approach writing numbers down on a sheet of paper, you know, I want the ref to be out there calling what they see. So that's just my two cents. Can I ask a question, Matt? This is just it came to me. When the people that are at the scores table, so it doesn't have to be you personally, but you got the, you know, the bookkeeper, the scoreboard, the shot clock, the other, you know, whatever. Are you thinking during the game, like, are you get like, are you, are you criticizing the officials during the game or is it going so fast you don't have a chance? Are you sitting there like, well, that's a terrible call. What's that guy doing? What's he seeing? Like, what's, is that happening at the, because now I'm kind of getting a little bit self-conscious about myself. Am I being evaluated by the bench personnel in well, these let me, games? Let me first say I'm a complete hypocrite for what I just said because okay. absolutely during some of those games, it's like, why are you calling that? Okay. But we're talking high school basketball here. Okay. So it, to me, it's it's a little bit different. But, uh, no, we're you know, I'm a fan. So I'm, I'm sitting down there, and I take my job very seriously, and, and I'm impartial uh, when I keep score. But I'm a fan too and so of course I think there's bad calls and and I'll accidentally verbalize that sometimes and you know we at the table kind of you know we we talk about things or you know if we think a call was good or a call was bad or whatever it was but um, yeah I mean we certainly we certainly have our biases down there as it relates to our who we want to win but not as how it you know affects our job I do remember I'm going to call you out on this Nick I do remember this was maybe four or five years ago uh, there was something went wrong with the clock and it, it kept running a little too long after the whistle or something happened. But you yelled over at the table and you made a comment about, you know, you made your comment about this is ridiculous. How can that happen? Especially at home. You threw in that little caveat and, uh, you know, especially at home to me, that was like, ooh, that, maybe that's a little too far, Nick. Well, Matt, a couple things there. Um, what you have to understand is when I was head coach, I was a very easygoing, laid-back guy. But sometimes I just had to say things to try to manage Coach Figuera and the rest of the assistant coaching staff. So I'm going to guess. I don't even remember the situation you're talking about, but I'm guessing that I was trying to manage Coach Figuera there. And so I may have just said that, um, you know, to try to try to calm him down a little bit or maybe for the gold seat, season ticket holders sitting behind. They wanted to know that their coach was fighting for them. And, and – uh, and I, I don't think the you know the score the bench personnel should not do the home team like they shouldn't be helping them win the game. They but they definitely shouldn't be hurting their chances <laughs> to win the game. Like if there's a chance either way to have a little bit of a quicker stop, you know, a clock starter stop. And I, Coach Figueroa again has a memory like a steel trap. One of my first years as a head coach, as I recall, I think we lost a game to Northwestern. It was, it was, home your, it was your second year on a buzzer beater. It was some very shaky clock management at the end of that game that allowed the visiting team, Northwestern in this case, an extra couple seconds to have time to get a shot off, and they end up hitting like a you know, 30-footer at the buzzer going to overtime. And that, that was a game, actually, I felt like was decided in some part by the 
clock operator, which was the home clock operator. Coach Figueroa, would you vouch for me on that one? Yeah, they hit two buzzer beaters that game. Yep. One in regulation and Ben Miller ben, hit them both, right? Ben Miller yep. hit them both. Second one was a free throw line jumper over Michael Collison, as contested as could be. All right, well we better uh, we better get some shout outs in here, and I'm going to start. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, America's team, or at least the newly appointed America's team, the Tennessee Titans, who took down the New England Patriots last night and did you know 90% of America a favor by getting rid of Brady and those guys. So now the rest of us can just enjoy the playoffs. Go Chiefs. I'm going to give a couple officiating theme shout outs here to stay kind of on, on point. Um, shout out uh, to any athletic administrator anywhere who takes care of the officials with good food. That's, that's clutch. A, a hot cheeseburger after a game. If you can do that, you should do that every time. And then a shout out to, you know, good bench personnel. I will say this again, probably going to get in trouble for not supposed to be on not supposed to talk about specifics, but Ponca High School, Ponca, Nebraska, outstanding bench personnel. That's as good as it gets. If, if you're just looking how to get the job done, administrators everywhere, have them go to a game at Ponca one night and just watch the bench personnel. They're legit. Also, shout out to a good high school pep band anywhere. Yeah, I can second that shout out for sure. <laughs> I'm just going to keep giving shout outs here. I'm going to give a shout out to Todd Lamb. Um, Todd Lamb has just really become a part of the game. He's found a way as a fan. I think it was, I'm sure it was talked about the Concordia deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was at the Hastings game this last week. Um, Jackson hit a shot, and Todd, like, stepped on the floor and gave Jackson a high five during the game. During the game, Jackson's getting, supposed to be getting back on defense, matching up, and there's his dad giving him a high five. So, shout out to Todd Lamb. You have found a way to insert yourself into the action, and good job by you. Yeah, and I just got a quick shout out to our uh, all of our assistant coaches on staff. You guys do a lot of work that, that goes unseen um, other than practices and games, whether it's in the office, doing laundry, things like that. So, Coach Forbes, Coach Erdman, Coach Schultz, and Coach Leffler. Those guys do a great job, and, and I certainly appreciate everything they do for the program. And I, one last shout-out. Shout-out to Nick. I don't even know what we call you. Do we just call you Nick now? Still call you Coach? Uh, Nick you should Nelson, still call me Coach CFP Nelson probably, or whatever the, That's uh, you, you should probably show me the respect that I deserve and still refer to me as Coach Nelson, I, I think. Well, not, but, how about Sir? Is Sir the preferred officiating title still? Or I don't know. Stripes? Stri uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. I don't really know. Well, um Whatever it is, uh, thanks for coming on today. It's always good to talk to you and wish you well. Hope things are going well with the with the new career. We'll see you around. I've had lunch with you within the last month or two. So, uh, yeah, guys, keep up the great work. This is this is uh, you know however many your your rabid listeners. I, I hope they appreciate you guys putting the time in to do this, and I'm sure you appreciate the listeners and and uh, keep it rolling. I know if, I know how hard it is for Coach Forgera. It's a, it's a commitment to do this on a Sunday when you play on a Saturday and you're. You're watching film of the last night's game. You're charting things. You're thinking about Monday's practice. You're starting to think about Wednesday's. You know, you're just – I mean, I, I, I think when I was a head coach, I can't imagine one, having wanted to do this on a Sunday with everything that you're, you're already thinking about and doing. And so, uh, um, mad props to you guys. On behalf of Coach Nelson and Coach Figueroa, this is Matt. We'll talk to you next week.